0: Now if you would, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 5 okay. This morning I've titled the message Every Obstacle is an Opportunity for God Last week Greg did a great job of <clears throat> showing us what happens Whenever the attacks from the outside come from the enemy okay. uh, there was, First it was psychological, that involved the ridicule that the people suffered Second was physical, there was a reality of a, of a possible attack at any moment the enemy said that we're going we're to come upon you when you don't know we're coming and we're going to kill you. Then there was the personal. The neighboring Jews in the area literally came to them, to Jerusalem, the Jews there, and ten times told them to stop. So those are the attacks from the outside. Today we're going to look at how the enemy does things. If he can't get you from the outside, he'll come at you from a different direction. he will try to attack from within. And we're going to see God a godly response to that. Again, chapter 4 ended with a great victory. The people of God doing the work of God. They did it despite all the obstacles. They worked with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, and they wouldn't let their enemies stop them. Okay. So, what we're going to look at today is three parts of a drama that unfolded in chapter 5. First, there was a great cry. It revealed sin in the camp. Second, there was a great assembly. It produced correction, repentance, and healing. Third, there was a great example of servant leadership. In Nehemiah 4.14, it said, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. In 4.19, it said, The work is great. That was the positive. That was the victory. But then we see in chapter 5, verse 1, a different kind of great. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. This wasn't against the Amorites or the other folks that were trying to come against them. It was against their own people. For there are those who said, with our sons and daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There was a famine going on, and they were literally starving. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Even those who had property who had the advantage of not being as, as poor as the poorest, they were also being affected. They were, there was no hedge against the, the problems that were going on. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money from the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Even the taxation was causing those folks who had property, fields, they were also needing to mortgage them. Now our flesh is the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Uh, Look around folks, we're a family. That's what they were saying, we should be family. Our kids are no different from their kids, but then they say what's happening next. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. They were literally needing to put their kids up as collateral on these loans. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it's not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. That's tragic. And the worst part is this was happening from the family, from Jews doing this to other Jews. Again, if the outside attacks from the outside don't work, he'll come at you from the inside. He now uses the sins of the wealthy, these money lenders, to try and stop and defeat God's work. Unfortunately, these wealthy folks were taking advantage of the poor by robbing their own people. Now, please see this. Instead of praying for them, they were praying on them. Same words, spelled different and totally different meanings. Instead of encouraging, instead of being there to help their brothers and sisters, they were taking advantage. They were looking at it as an opportunity to benefit themselves. Benefiting from their misfortune, profiting, profiting from their pain. But this is an amazing thing, that people were united in one goal. All the people, the rich, the poor, the money lenders, those who were in danger of losing their kids, they were all engaged in one thing, united in one goal, to fix the wall. However, their hearts were divided. And the work stopped. We see everything the enemy did from the outside didn't stop, even slow down the work in chapter 4. But here it comes to a grinding halt because of sin inside the camp. The thing that can cause major harm to God's work is discord among his people. Misunderstanding, discouragement, mistrust, they can all make us literally impotent in serving the Lord. And that's, that's what was going on here. A totally sad situation. I think you can explain it best in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. Now, please look at this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. When he says, there's things I hate, but the, the worst is the seventh, that's an abomination. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. Those are the first six. And the seventh, one who sows discord among brothers. Worse than somebody who sheds innocent blood. Worse, worse than somebody who's a talebearer, who's a gossip. Worse than somebody who literally runs towards evil is someone who sows discord among his brothers and sisters. Challenge. Uh, hopefully we never fall into that trap but we can. When I was pastoring in California, I had a couple that I discipled. They got saved in the ministry. They were discipled. They actually grew to the point where uh, the, the husband was on my board. Well, then they hooked up with a couple in another church and got started involved in a pyramid scheme. Okay? Selling items and you know what it is. I'm not going to name the, the names or the products, but they started doing this and they started showing up at church and using an opportunity to try and put people on a spot, trying to get them to join, okay, to sign up. Okay. They were literally causing these, all these problems because they thought they were doing something good. They actually came to me and said, this couple assured us within a year, we're going to have people working for us. Within a year, we're gonna be able, I'm going to be able to quit my job as a painter. We're going to even have enough money to buy you and Deanna a new car. Well, their heart was right, but they obviously weren't realizing what they were doing. When I approached them on it, they at first said, oh, you know, you're right. But then they were swayed by this other couple, and they started then even showing up with the big signs, uh, metallic signs on on their car. And I finally said, you know what, you can't do that. If you're going to be in ministry here, if you're going to be here, you can't use this as an opportunity to try and... Take away from people being at church in order to get them to work for you in this what is a pyramid skin scheme. So they were without even realizing it, they were taking advantage of their brothers and sisters. Okay? they actually left. Okay, they walked away from the church, and I wish I could tell you it ended different, but they got in so involved in this. Okay, it put so much pressure on them. Okay, that they actually wound up separating and getting a divorce. Okay, this was a couple who loved each other immensely. They were followers of God. I'm not saying they didn't still know the Lord, but those are things that can happen, even in a church. We need to be careful. We need to be careful when we go to one of our brothers and sisters and say, you know what? You know what they did? (laughs) You know what they're thinking? I've seen this. I've had good friends that are pastors who were asked to leave because there are a group of people in the church Who decided that they wanted to do things differently. So they armed themselves, they gathered a little following, and they literally came to the pastor and said, You know what? You need to tone down your teaching, okay? You need to make it more friendly, okay? And he said, No, I'm going to teach the Word of God. So they eventually got people to the point where they asked him to leave. And the person who was in charge of this whole thing then started deciding, Oh, I know what to do, so I started teaching. It wasn't a pastor, it wasn't trained, and that church almost folded because of all the problems that it created. Okay. That's how the enemy comes in, so we need to be careful. We need to be mindful that if we're brothers and sisters, it's like in your own family. If you're parents, you know whenever the kids fight with each other, it's like, wait a minute. You separate them, you do what you have to. Chuck Smith was, is, was the leader of a church called Calvary Chapel. Okay. I found this out after the fact, but back whenever the the hippies were really uh, you know, they were the hippies. Okay. Uh, and they had this huge sanctuary, okay. When they bought it, they had new carpet and everything in, and these hippies started showing up and they'd come in and they'd sit on the floor on the carpet and and people were getting upset confronting them because they were dirty and saying you're you're dirtying the carpet, you're sitting in our chairs, okay telling them if you want to come, you need to, you, know, you need to bathe, those kinds of things. Well, he caught wind of it, and he tried to stop it, but people weren't listening. So on a Saturday, he had a whole crew come in. You know what they did? They ripped up all the carpet, and they painted the floor. Okay? People came in the next day, and he explained, I understand this has been a problem for some of you. Okay? It's not a problem anymore. Okay? The carpet went before I would allow this to be separation- and to be something that we're going to we're going to fight over and we're going to cause people to stumble over okay carpet can be replaced okay your witness to people your witness and your love to people that can't be replaced okay? that's what we need to be aware of that's what we need to know satan knows that he can divide and conquer it works it still works now please understand the work in the rebuilding and serving God didn't cause the problems. They didn't all of a sudden say, well, we're in the middle of this building project. We're trying to to put the wall up. We're trying to fix what's wrong. We're trying to bring Jerusalem back to where it was supposed to be. God is calling us to do this. That didn't cause these problems. All it did was reveal the problems that were already there. Know this. We're in the middle of What God is doing, we've come to a new place. He's provided this awesome sanctuary for us. We're in the process of getting a name change. We're in the process of all these things happening. Don't be surprised if you notice that there are things that are going on, not because of the change, just because it revealed there was already a problem there. I've had people that got involved in ministry, and they come back and said, you know what, as we got involved in ministry, My wife and I aren't getting along, we're fighting all the time. And I said, well, what was it like before that? And the wife said, well, I used to tell him you never pay attention to me. Now he's greeting people, he's hugging people, and he's spending all his time with people. You see, it wasn't what they were doing and serving, it was a problem that was already there. It just revealed the problem. So be aware of that. And when you step out in faith to serve and obey, don't don't be surprised at the fact that problems can be revealed. But you don't need to be afraid of serving or stepping out. Because like it was in this this instance, God used this situation to bring to light the problem so that it could be fixed. So he could answer the prayers of those people who were hurting, who were needing. So what was Nehemiah's response to what he heard? In verse 6 of Nehemiah 5, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. This was righteous, justified anger. This wasn't a man who was going off on his people. Okay? It wasn't a temper flare-up that got him angry You go around and yelling at people. No, this was righteous anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 tells us, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go up down upon your wrath. And this is important. Give no opportunity to the devil. Nehemiah wasn't giving the opportunity to the devil here because he was angry. He was saying, this shouldn't be. This is not right. Question, what makes you angry? Don't have to answer that, but I want you to think about it. What makes you angry? For me, sometimes I get angry if I'm disrespected. I feel like I'm disrespected if I'm misunderstood, if I'm not listened to. I get upset. I even get angry at it well, God's nailed me every time telling me, you know what, if you're mad at something that you perceive to be an injustice towards you, live with it. (laughs) You don't have a right to be angry. If you see God's word being misappropriated, if you see his people being taken advantage of, if you see people trying to rob him of his glory, if his name is being put in a place where it shouldn't be because people are, are seeing what you do and trying to say that that's what God is like. When those things happen you have every right to be angry to be angry at the sin but the word says not at the sinner to be, to be angry at the sin and that's what we see Nehemiah doing. In Matthew 23, 13 it happened 14 times in the gospels Jesus said woe to the Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites. Okay. Fourteen times he got angry because he saw how they were mistreating the people, how they were misrepresenting him, how it was affecting his people that he loved. Remember John 2, when he went into the temple, a corded whip, okay, overturned the tables and <laughs> scattered everybody. Okay. He was angry then. Again, it wasn't because of him, it was because of what they were doing misrepresenting his father there were people in there selling what they said were animals that you can use for sacrifice and they were just charging an exorbitant price they were money lenders money changers and he went in and did it okay. but in Luke 23 34 he said father forgive them for they know not what they do that was his response to people who were mistreating him okay. so you see the difference the anger you can be angry and sin not, but you have to understand where your anger is placed and what direction. Okay? I don't think there's any scriptural basis for you driving down the road. I confess I do it. And somebody is driving what I think is, is not too smart, okay? maybe even cutting me off or doing something like that. Okay? And I get angry at them, and, I, and I, I know that I'm not supposed to call them stupid because that's what the Word says. But I find myself trying to get around that by saying... Oh, you're not too bright, are you? <laughs> um, my heart is still in the wrong place. Okay. That's not the way we should be doing things. Again, in verse 6, he said, I was angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Okay. It's important to understand this. He had been there only 52, 52 days and it was completed. Okay. The job had started, okay, and when they came to him, the work stopped. Now, he could have easily said, you whiners, okay? <laughs> you know, get back to work. You, know? you complainers, get back to work. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't say that because he listened to what they said. He listened. Okay? He didn't decide, oh, this work is more important than the way you guys feel. No, he listened to them. He gave them validation because he listened. Do you have that gift? Do you have that gift of listening? Okay. Everybody can hear, but do you really listen to people? Do you? Okay. The enemy, obviously. Okay. Um, I heard something that really didn't make me angry, but it got me upset. This is on a Christian radio station. They said the psychologists have come up with this theory about red light when you're speaking. They said, when you're speaking, in the first 30 seconds you're talking to somebody, it's like a green light. They're going to listen to you. The next 30 seconds is like a yellow light. They're going to start thinking, "You yeah, hurry up. And after 60 seconds, a red light comes on and they just block you out. Okay. You know what? Bogus. Okay. No. It shouldn't be that way. Unfortunately, it is, but it shouldn't be that way. Okay. Somebody's especially a brother or sister comes to you with a need, okay? If you're sitting there thinking, okay, I got to go do this, you know. Are you already waiting to answer them before they're even finished talking? If you're not listening because you're distracted or you're just like, oh, I can't believe they're just going on and on with this. Okay? Shame on us when we do that. Shame on us when we do that. Okay? Then in verse 7, he said, "I took counsel with myself." In Nehemiah 1, we realize that Nehemiah heard of the problem, he listened to the people, he prayed, he searched his own heart, then he responded to the need. Okay. That's, that's his MO. That's his, his behavior when he came to problems like this. Okay. It says, I took counsel with myself. Saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. We all do that. Okay. You want to know how? Next time you're trying to pick out a movie from Redbox, okay? I want to see this, you know, eh, no, I don't feel like a chick flick. I want to see an action movie. You, you know, you start counseling with yourself, okay? If you're an unbeliever, I remember those days, it's like, ah, do I want to go those friends and do that, or do I want to go to that party. Or it's like, oh, she smiled at me, okay? It's like, I wonder what that means, okay? You start counseling with yourself. But in his case and it says that he counseled with himself okay, he looked back on what he knew about God he looked back and said you know and, and reasoned okay, this is going on this is a problem but God wants this work to happen and these people need to be corrected but there also needs to be a chance for restoration there needs to be a chance for healing he sought God in what to do that's what it means he took counsel with himself again I took counsel in verse 7 I took counsel with myself I brought charges against the nobles and officials I said to them "You're exacting interest each from his brother see when he did this he provided proof because I believe when the people came to him with the problem they didn't come to him because they thought he was a great man who could fix the problem I'm going to repeat that. They didn't come to him because they thought he was a great man who could fix the problem. I believe they came to him because they saw him as a good man who would fix the problem. Okay. Big difference. Big difference. Okay. He wasn't a super saint. Okay. Don't want to burst bubbles, but we don't have any super saints here either. Okay. <laughs> but we do have my brother Tim back there. <laughs> we have Dennis. Okay. You know why I'm picking on those guys? They're not super saints, but I know they're good men, and I know that if I have a need or a problem, I can call them and say, Hey brother, can you help me with this? Can you pray for me? I know that if it's in their power to help and and do something for me, that they will. Okay. That's what they saw in him. Shouldn't that be the way people view us? Okay. Shouldn't that be? You never said a word to your neighbors about the Lord. You never spoke to one of them and told them you're a Christian. If somebody was rounding up Christians and they came to them and said, well, what about Mike? What about Wes? What about Dave? Well, the neighbors say, I've seen his behavior. He's probably one of those Christians. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Again, he brought charges against them. He wasn't a politician who said, is it popular? Is it safe? Instead, he decided what is right. And he spoke correction and conviction to them. He literally said, stop what you're doing. Stop it. If you never had this happen, if you never had a brother or sister come to you and say in love, stop what you're doing. Rethink what you're doing. Okay. Then you're either a saint that's never had problems or you're not approachable. <laughs> because, and you should be willing to do that to others. okay You need to be able to speak the truth and say, you know what? I'm not sure that's a good choice. Okay. You know, you're just sitting here telling me about these people who complain against them, but you know, is that what we really want to do towards our brothers and sisters? That's the way we need to be looking at things. And that's what he was. He was saying, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to speak the truth. He said he literally knew that they had let Satan in, and now was the time to make it right. He also knew that no matter how high they built the walls or how strong they made the walls, the city would always be unsafe until this problem was dealt with. Please understand that. The, the city was never going to be safe until this problem was solved. Until this root of bitterness, until this sin was removed. Then he said, I held a great assembly against them. Public sin needs to be dealt with publicly. Okay? And that's what he did. And he said in verse 8, as far as we are able... We, as far as we are, are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Okay, what's he saying? These people who were put in bondage, okay, who were put in a place where, you know, their kids could be in bondage, okay, they could be sold as slaves, or they're they owe all this money. We went in and we saved them, we paid for them, we relieved them of this burden. And you're going around and taking and doing it again and putting them right back in the place. where What do you want us to do? Go back and do it again? It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. That's the sin that was going on. Their response, they were silent and could not find a word to say. It's been rare that I've been silent enough been able to even say a word to somebody. Okay. But there are times whenever I come face-to-face with, with where I'm at, with my heart, and even how I've sinned and made wrong decisions, and sometimes I felt speechless. Because I could say, you know what? You're right. Okay. Or, you know what? I'll pray about that, or I'll think about it. No, you're just left speechless. That's what happened when you come to somebody with the Holy Spirit. You come to them in love. You come to them and speak the truth. Verse 9, you ought not to walk in fear of our, in fear of our God. Okay. That's what they were saying. It's like, okay, you did these things, but don't you have a fear of God? Psalms 111.10 said, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. See, the fear of the Lord, he was telling them here, is reverence, respect. It's a healthy fear of disappointing God. When I was growing up, I had a a fear of disappointing my parents. Okay. I didn't want to. Okay. The things, the stupid things that I did, I did everything I could to hide from them because I didn't want them to be disappointed. It was a safety net I had in relation with my wife. Okay. The safety net was I loved her to pieces. And I never, had a, I never had a desire to ever stray from that relationship. But the safety net was I knew she knew me so well that if I ever turned into a complete idiot and did something, I couldn't hide it from her. She'd know in a heartbeat that something had happened. that was a safety net because I would never even wanted to put myself in that place because I never would want to hurt her that way. Do you have that kind of a relationship with God knowing that if you do something stupid God's going to know it. Maybe nobody else will but God will. And when you sin, you also sin against God. The Lord who hung on the cross to pray for to pay for our sins. That's what real walking in the fear of God should be. There's a quote. If you fear God, you're not afraid of anything else. That's awesome. But if you don't fear God, you're afraid of everything else. It's true. It's true. Again, in verse 9, to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies. He was saying, look at how this is reflecting on God. Look at how people are looking at us in Jerusalem, at our family, and seeing how that's affecting it. This is a reflection of God. Often we find in churches that they argue over things that aren't really important. If you've ever known that, if you've been in church long enough. Uh, In fact, I think in some churches, people are playing church. You know why? Because they they are set in their own little circle, their own little group of folks, and they have no real desire to bring anybody from the outside in. That's not the way it should be. They have no desire to reach the lost, and the world is literally passing them by. Please know that the world watches you and wonders where the love, acceptance, and forgiveness is Forgiveness is if we profess to be Christians. They will also look at our church and say, you know what? I showed up, nobody talked to me. (laughs) Uh, I see all these people having these conversations and everything, but it was almost like I was invisible. It shouldn't be that way. In verse 10 and 11, Moreover, I I and my brothers and my servants are lending the money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, vineyards, olive orchards, their houses, percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. <clears throat> he was saying, true repentance is a hundred and eighty degree turn. Are you willing to do that? That was the challenge. James 48 tells us, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. What an awesome picture, an unfortunate picture of these money lenders, these Jewish folks, the rich folks that were preying on the people. Cleanse your hands. Remove those things. Give them back. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, these were the folks that were still working on the wall as they were taking advantage of their brothers and sisters. They look like they're part of the group. They look like they're part of the family, and yet Their whole focus was, what can I get out of this situation? Then this is awesome in verse 12 and 13. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing of them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may be shaken out and emptied. He didn't just say, Guys, I hope you feel bad for this. He said, now is the time to prove your heart. Don't just say to me, I need to pray about this. No, you need to act. And that, when he said, I'll shake out the, the dust, the crumbs from my shirt, it was basically a curse saying, you know what? You not only are coming before the priests and promising this and the people, but you are now promising this before God. And he's going to know if you're not doing this. Okay. Heavy stuff. But he knew they needed accountability. They knew they needed accountability. Uh, one question. Are you struggling with anything in your life? Are you struggling with things that you wish you could get rid of and you can't? One of the first steps is finding someone to be accountable to. Okay. It's so important. So vitally important. Verse 13, and all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. See, this wasn't an economic summit that was called. This wasn't a lynch mob that was gathered so they could rip into these wealthy brothers and sisters, these wealthy Jews. It was a chance to Nehemiah to bring a firm, loving, biblical approach to the problem. And what did it turn it into? It turned it into a worship service as there was restoration. Okay. Don't you wish every situation you enter, every problem you have to deal with would result in that? Okay. It would result in worship in the end. Okay. Worship would end up as a praise report. Okay. That should be our goal. And we look at the example of a servant leader in Nehemiah. Verse 14, 15, 16. Moreover, from that time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king. Twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were there before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. It would have been easy for him to say, it's always been done that way. People have accepted it, they've they've complied, but he didn't. He said, it shouldn't be that way. If we're called to be servant leaders, we're called to lead by example. Verse 16, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. All my servants were gathered together for the work. See, he wasn't a hypocrite. He was actually, he wasn't in an ivory tower or a big office in a megachurch, okay? Separated from the people. He got in and got his hands dirty. He was involved. That's a servant leader, The elders all made a decision when the elder board was formed that we were gonna be, Ryan, what kind of leaders? Servant leaders, okay? That's why you see us helping out. That's why, you know, if you ever need anything you need to know that we want to be available to you servant leaders dl moody said this a holy life will produce the deepest impression but lighthouses blow no horns they only shine you don't have to be out there blowing your horn you have to be saying notice me okay your light will shine if you're really loving on people if you're being an example Verse 17, moreover, there were at my table, 150 Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that was prepared at my expense for each day, one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. We didn't take what we could have. We didn't take advantage. We won't touch anything of the people's because the people because we know the Lord loves them and he's called us to love them. He was speaking about him and his servants here. See, right in the middle of the path of spiritual service is the cross. You want to be a servant of the Lord? If you want to serve him, realize the cross is right in the middle of the path. That cross says, be willing to die daily. Be willing to be picking up your cross and carrying it to crucify the flesh. That comes right in the middle of you wanting to serve. But praise God that it does. Because it gives us the right perspective. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as far more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Our last verse here, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people, verse 19. Now that could sound like, wow, what conceit, what pride. It wasn't. It wasn't. He was saying to God, my only real concern in this God is not if people notice me, but if you know what I've done for you. You know what kind of freedom there is in that? <laughs> you don't have to be worried if, if people are you know, realizing, oh, you know what? Afterwards, I put all these chairs away. I was going around picking up scraps of paper on the floor. Okay? Or I got here early to do this. Or I'm down there laboring with the kids. If people do notice, if God allows that, praise God. But it should be enough for all of us to know, God, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. Hebrews 6.10 tells us, For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and love that you have showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. I want you to take some things with you today. Realize that when God's work is prospering, the enemy will come in and cause problems. We need to be able to confront the problems courageously. If not, they're just gonna go underground and create roots of bitterness okay, and produce bitter fruit. Third, be sure your integrity is intact. Okay. The man or woman who serves the Lord finds themselves in a compromising situation. Okay. It not only can ruin your witness, but you know, it also can cause you to realize, wow, when you start sharing with somebody Man, that is so hypocritical because I was just out doing that last night. Okay? It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. You see, every problem is an opportunity for the Lord to work. Please, take this with you. Every opportunity every, that, that you see, is even in a problem, is a chance for God to work. See, solving problems in ministry is not an intellectual exercise, but a spiritual experience. If you depend on the wisdom of the world, you know what you're going to get? What the world can give you. If you depend on the wisdom of God, you know what you're going to get? What God can do for you. So as you approach these problems, don't say, logically, how do I do this? Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm putting it in your hands. I'm seeking you. Luke 18.27 says, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Please believe that every opportunity is a chance for God to bless, to bring healing, to bring a solution, to strengthen you. Everything He is able to do for us can come out of even the worst situation.